Nightbird, episode number two. My name is James, and today I am joined by one of my absolute favorite podcasters, Monica Perez. Monica has joined to talk about propaganda, how you can identify it, and uh, how you can kind of discern the truth, or you know whatever reality is, distinguish between that and the kind of lies and spin and agenda that the corporate press and the government and you know everyone else in the cathedral throws our way. So I'm very excited to have you listen to this interview. Um, before we get started, let me tell you about our sponsor for today. Our sponsor is BU Enterprises. BU is run by Juliet Nail, a wonderful libertarian agorist, uh, kind of <laughs> renegade suburban farmer. Um, she runs a, well, I guess it's kind of a virtual yoga studio at the moment. Um, and she's offering classes through Zoom at her website, buenterprises.com. I did a quick, well, not really quick. It was an hour-long session with Juliet a couple of weeks ago. And I tell you what, first of all, I had no idea how bad my my posture was. Second of all, I was super sore the following day just from doing these exercises in my desk chair. It's insane the amount of... Uh, like workout that you can get from just these stretches and postures that she teaches you to do while you're just sitting there. Um, so I highly recommend checking it out. You can find it at buenterprises.com. And that's the words B-U, B-E-Y-O-U, enterprises.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, and uh, like I said, I highly recommend it. So give it a try. And with that, here is my interview with Monica Perez. All right, Monica Perez, thanks for joining me today. I am so looking forward to it. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, okay. So for the two people listening who don't know who you are, can you uh, kind of give an overview of uh, your background and current projects and stuff? Sure. My name is Monica Perez. I had a show called The Monica Perez Show in Atlanta on terrestrial radio, which I got not because of any desire to be in the media or any of that. I was talking to somebody, telling her some... I was going back into finance. I'm a, a mom and I was an investment banker and I wanted to go kind of plan for the future. And my mind was on fire and I was reading all this stuff. And I just all of a sudden like realized that this whole two-party system is a scam. And even the concept of self-limiting government is just not possible. If, if, it, if, if the American experiment didn't work, no experiment could work. And I just was like, fire hosing, as my husband says, fire hosing some gal sitting next to me at a wedding who happens to be a radio producer. And she was like, wow, we really need fire hoses. So <laughs> it wasn't even the ideas as much as the fact that I was a fire hose. So she put me on the radio and I was on the radio for eight and a half years. So the people who are listening to you who know me probably know me would are probably people from Atlanta or Georgia where I lived for a long time. And then this year, so eight and a half years, I said whatever I wanted. We had a program director there. This was WSB. It was the number one talk radio news talk station in the country. So it was big. And this program director, he was just fantastic. And he, he said, Hey, if you just separate what you know from what you think, say whatever you want. He said, try not to be a train wreck. We don't want people running and screaming. That doesn't help at all. But try to be, you know, sane and focused and get your skills and follow the clock and do all the things that you're supposed to do. And you, we will not, you can say whatever you want. So for eight and a half years, I did that. And I'm not sure there are a lot of things happened this February. One of them was that he retired. Another was that the, the radio station got bought. Another was that I, 
exposed event 201 in the context of COVID in the city where the CDC is located. And I can explain all that for anyone who doesn't know it, but just to cut to the chase, that was in February. So I've like on that same day, all those things happened. And I just kind of got my walking papers from there. And then since then, a few things have come to light that I wonder if, you know, they were contributing factors. One is Georgia is, is the ground zero for a lot of this election stuff. And I had a good relationship with a guy I've had on my now I have a podcast, Garland Favrito, an election integrity expert in activist in Georgia who would be on my show a lot. So there's a basically what he describes as a local media news blackout there in Georgia. And so that could contribute to it. We did a lot of work on Epstein before it was okay to do that. And then the new owner had a relationship with Epstein. So I really don't know what happened, but uh, I I just kind of got drafted into podcasting uh, or into talk radio or whatever. And then I had learned so much and really got, you know, skills like that are learned at the hands of this master. And I just felt it would be wasteful not to continue the skills. And my producer on the show, Brad Binkley, has a, a lot of great ideas. We're on the same wavelength. He did a lot of research. So we kind of transitioned over. We're like, you know what? Then they, it was a weekend show. We were waiting to get a daily show and we expected it, but it didn't happen. And not only that, but we lost the show, but we were ready to do a daily show. So we transitioned that into a daily show, which is supposed to kind of sound like the radio. It's got a couple of commercials. It's 45 minutes of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. It's uh, called a drive time news blast, but the overarching feed, we also do interviews and stuff is called the propaganda report. And the idea is we're giving you the actual news without all of the, uh, without the spin, without the agenda. I mean, there's nothing there. I lost, I lost the only outlet I could have had. If I was going to compromise, it would have happened already. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's there for people who, have basically given up the news because they cannot find anybody who's really trying to tell them what's going on. And I'm not necessarily knowing what's going on, but I'm trying to figure it out honestly. And, and in that I have some value to add and a lot of people appreciate that. And I, the, my, my favorite emails are stuff when it says, I only agree with half of what you say, and I love your show. Awesome. Thanks. So the drive time news blast is your daily show. I'm, I'm interested in how you can be so productive. Like what, what is your, what is your news consumption like? Well, that's funny. You should ask is, and um, my sister's a big fan of the show and she pops up on Twitter and, and we do like cocktail parties and stuff, which she will pop up on and she will testify every time I say this, she will absolutely support it. I always hated the news. I was an investment banker and my weakness was I never knew what was going on. That's bad. I could crunch numbers, but I had no idea what was going on. Even when I was doing the WSB show, I would not read the news during the week. I would just read it a couple of days before I'd pick a topic and I would crack the code on that topic. But occasionally, rarely when there was a curveball, you know, a verdict came down or whatever, and I had to cover it. I fell right on my face. I've always hated the news. And my mother, I could never listen to presidential speeches, nothing. And my mother identified it perfectly. So my mother's a real Brooklynite, so I can only do her in her own voice. But she says, you just can't stand being lied to. You can't stand. You cannot be in the presence of lies. 
that is your problem. And I was like, okay. So literally like the state of the union address would come on and I'd have to leave the room since I was 12 years old. So I, it's torture for me, torture. And, uh, and somehow I've gotten my hands around it for this. And it takes, so we put out 45 minutes a day, 30 minutes free, and then 15 for patrons. And I've calculated, it takes me four to five hours a day, including that time. And how I tolerate the news now is for me, it's a puzzle. It's just, it's an, an analysis waiting to happen. I always loved crossword puzzles. I loved doing the spreadsheets at work. I look at it and I just, it's, it's like you, it's like one of those weird pictures where you look at it and it looks like nothing. And then all of a sudden you see that it's like a horse and you can't unsee the horse. So I read the articles and I think, what are they after? And a lot of times I can figure it out and I get validated. Maybe 75% of the time, I think that I've, probably got my finger on what's really going on. And, and in that way, it makes it kind of tolerable because I don't feel like I'm being lied to and feel manipulated. I feel like I'm beating them at their own game. And that's what keeps me going. And that's what I share. What uh, Do you have any like techniques for seeing through the, the spin, I guess? Yeah, I call it truth dar. Uh, I later learned there's just an actual word for it called discernment. <laughs> so it's like a religious thing. Like you have to discern good from evil, truth from lies, discernment. And you have to hone that. And I guess my, my starting point is usually that it would not be in the paper or in the news. 90% of it's in the news to uh, promote an agenda. So you, you, your default state is just find the agenda. And then 10% of it is they cannot avoid to address, uh, addressing this real thing. So that, that's a little tricky is like, is it real or is it not real? But the vast majority of time, you can't go wrong by assuming it's in there, true or false, but it's in there to manipulate you for an agenda. And over the years, when you see very clearly and you do some research at the higher level stuff, like uh, I'll tell you to say, that over the years you realize you know what their agenda is. So then it's very easy to say, oh, how does this serve the agenda? And one thing I used to do, now it's all the rage and good thing it is because it's, I want people to know the truth, but I used to look at the World Economic Forum website and their agendas. They literally have agendas and one of what they used to have and they might still have it. They had like a drop down menu or a bunch of tabs or whatever that was shaping the future of. And it would be like shaping the future of education, shaping the future of technology, shaping the future of food resources. I mean, this was right there on their stuff. So you would look at it and say, oh, they want to do this. Like they're one of the things was a white paper, you know, like a, buried deep within one of those tabs on the impact of boys playing video games as being soldiers, you know, for being soldiers. And, and they were they would never say because we want them to. They would say, because we don't want them to, you know, but it wasn't very hard to believe, to realize. So the white paper, you know, they write these real froofy think tank types. They write it all as if they're these liberals on the same page um, with this grand agenda whose only purpose, I think the Rockefeller Foundation, which is another resource that you can find the agenda, will say, one of the reports I wrote, it said, our stated goal is to help humanity. <laughs> it's like, okay. All right. So you look at it and, and after a while and every picture is like a poor kid getting a bowl of 
gruel or something, you know, and you're just like, eventually you're like, this can't be true. This can't be what it's really about. So when I read a white paper like that, I think it is far more likely they are trying to craft soldiers or understand psychology or train AI or whatever in their, in the interest they're taking in the video games of the kids. So I guess I find the agenda, which, um, comes from these high level, usually think tanks, I usually say it in flowery terms, but I don't, I see through that after a while too. And then uh, almost everything you read will serve some element of the agenda. But what challenges me is really figuring out exactly what that agenda is and who's at the top of the pyramid. Cause the agendas, you know, they, they kind of level up and I really don't, I, I'm kind of stuck up there with, you know, is Klaus Schwab the king of the world? I don't think so, but it's possible. Yeah. Do you think, do you, uh, do you think that there's people above him? It, it must be because he, he just celebrated and I covered it before any of this. I covered it the 50th anniversary of the World Economic Forum and he established it in, I think, 1971. So I guess, no, it must've been 1970. So how old was he? Not that old. So somebody must have kind of put him in place, bankrolled him. If you look back, there was a lot of Gladio stuff where there were stay behind in Europe. There were stay behind like Nazi stuff. There's weird stuff going on. If you look up Operation Gladio, you can find that there were things, you know, agenda items, on the very deeper level, and this is kind of out of my realm of expertise, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was put in place by some of the forces that have been powerful above the level of like the warring parties in the 20th century. I wouldn't be surprised. And but but what he says, what his mission statement is in the World Economic Forum is to is fascism. It is bringing governments and business together to set the world's agenda. I mean, that's what it is. So he and everything he talks about when you read the Great Reset stuff, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Event 201, which was partly brought to you by World Economic Forum, which for people who don't know, was in October 2019. They laid out the scenario of a novel coronavirus. And they then talked about how it would be disruptive for 18 months. It would I literally called the bottom of the stock market based on just be like, oh, they said it was 40 percent. And today's the day. So it gets under 19 it's a buy. I didn't, I wasn't in a position to buy anything, but, but it, uh, but it was there in black and white. And that was a world economic forum project. So uh, when they, one of the calls to action on there was, you know, or all of the calls to action, basically we're talking about how to get businesses and governments on the same page. And part of it, one of the things they mentioned in it was that they would take uh, the money guy in any given country where the where the boss where the elected guy was not cooperating and you know make a couple of phone calls and they literally called it soft power. They said exactly what would happen and I think Belarus is an, is one of the few examples of where they failed. They had the guy call and the guy and the elected person who is now on the ropes said no, and I'm surprised he's still alive. I was uh, I I've. <clears throat> so I live in Minnesota and our governor is like just kind of a really aw shucks working class. He used to be a school teacher, Democrat. And 
every time he locks us down, which is, uh, it's not as bad as California where you've been living, but, uh, he's, he's closed restaurants a few times. And, um, like uh, tomorrow, I think he's set to go in the news to let us know that he's going to let the restaurants reopen. Um, but I've always wondered, and he's always, every time he's done it, he's put on this like really empathetic, oh, you know, I really hate to do this. And I, I sympathize with your struggles and, you know, oh, the restaurants, uh, we, we just need the, we just need the money from Washington. I, I understand how hard this is. Um, and I've always wondered, you know, if he's so sympathetic, why does he go along with this? Like, he just seemed like a normal person. And the thing is, uh, he's, all, and, and because he seemed like a normal person, you'd think that if anybody was going to kind of, um, understand what was going on it would be him even if he does have the d next to his name come to find out his predecessor the very popular governor mark dayton um was married to a rockefeller <laughs> wow. i had no idea i found that out on new year's eve um this was his present predecessor yeah his predecessor but was who, he in bed with that guy oh i'm sure they right, right. Okay. they've got to be uh yeah, they, they they, i mean the only reason his predecessor isn't still the governor is because he decided not to run um He's doing something else in the private sector now, I believe. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Mark Dayton, he was the he was the other senator from Minnesota. Like nobody had ever heard of him um, because he was such a do nothing senator. Uh, so anyway. Right. Um, well, well so but I just want to respond to a couple of those things is yeah. that or I have two points on that. One is he needs the money from the feds. And who's been signing those checks? Trump. Trump's been bailing out the Democrats, not the Republicans. The red mm. states aren't locked down. So to the extent, I don't think there's, you know, just because they have a D or they're all shucks. The all shucks, I really think that that the, I had a person tell me that she knew, this was when John Edwards was running, that she knew John Edwards personally. This was a, a, a like an acquaintance, a social acquaintance. I was at a very small dinner party at her house. You know, I didn't know her very well, but like she was just a normal person. There was no, it wasn't a fundraiser or anything. And she was just telling me how she knew John Edwards and what a, an unbelievable great guy he was and how much you know trouble was in his life and how much he was devoted to his wife and all this stuff. And I mean, I don't know if you remember the John Edwards oh, story. Yeah. John yeah. Edwards, I wrote a, I wrote an, I wrote an, a letter to the editor of the Dallas Morning News in 2004. This was in uh, Dallas, actually. Yeah, calling, calling John Edwards my political hero. This was when he was running no for president the first time. Way. Yeah, yeah, oh man. He was so charismatic and good looking right. and all of that. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So this is what she told me. And then look what happened. So his ability to misrepresent his character is, is like a phenom. It's phenom. Like when I first moved to LA and I would see like the occasionally unbelievably beautiful person, I'd be like, wow, like I can't believe there are people that beautiful. And like, there's so many of them. It's like, oh, they come out here because this is where beautiful people get jobs for being beautiful. So they all come out here. And I feel like DC, they're like, oh, it's Hollywood for ugly people because they're such good actors. But it's like beyond that. It's like, yeah, they have to be better actors than the Hollywood folks. And and they just, that's their unique, like one in a million ability is to get through all the, however many decades of life that you've been there to discern someone's character just by interacting with them. These guys can overcome that. So it's, they really fool you. I've learned to never trust that kind of thing. But uh, what was the other thing about you were saying that? So Trump is the one who's paying them off. And uh, wouldn't he know? I can't remember it. 
Shoot, I meant to. Oh, Hunter Biden. Yes, this is it. Oh. Um, I went to write it down and then I started talking. So Hunter Biden, there's this email. I wasn't really, I don't like stuff that's on Fox. Like if Fox is telling, so you know how I said there's 90% of it is there to get you somewhere and 10% mm. of it is there because they can't avoid it. Right, yeah. When the, when the Hunter Biden, I had done a lot of research on Hunter and Joe Biden and everything like that during the impeachment. And this Bob Ulinsky guy, uh, Tony Bobulinski guy who was on Fox in October, this October with all this dirt on Hunter Biden. I'd never heard his name before. And I thought I would have heard his name before. So I just ignored it. I was like, it's in the 90% of stuff they want me to look at for some reason. I, I don't have time for that. I'm beginning to think it's in that, it was in that 10%, you know, and I made what I think would be called a type one error that I like, I left out stuff that was real by overly narrowing my, you know, truth star. So when I ended up finally reading just one simple email that this guy revealed from the Hunter Biden saga, it was, it, it didn't have any details in it, which I think is pretty typical. It just said it was a, it was a joint venture with a Chinese company that Biden was being a part of. And it was a memo, I think maybe to the Chinese partners saying, these are our contacts for all phase one projects. Okay. Contacts for phase one projects. And it was a list of 15, almost total all Democrat politicians from senators. It was, and you listen to my show, so you probably heard me say this, but um, your listeners wouldn't necessarily have heard. It was Andrew Cuomo. It was Eric Garcetti, who's the mayor of LA. It was Gavin Newsom, who's the governor of LA. It was Kamala Harris and Diane Feinstein, the senators from California. It was Amy Klobuchar, who was running for president. It was, um, Kirsten Gillibrand, who ran for president and nobody ever outed her father for being a Nexium lawyer, that weird cult where people were going to jail, like a sex cult in upstate New York. She's still riding high and nobody ever talks about that. And just a bunch, you know, almost every one of the people on this list of 15 people I knew, you know, I'd heard of, they're that prominent. And it had next to their names, like the month, it didn't say, it didn't have like dollar signs. It was just like, this guy controls the bridge project. You know, this guy is in charge of infrastructure. I mean, clearly contacts for phase one projects means people in the government, we can get to give us money to do these jobs. And, and that's, so when you tell me this, this guy seems like a, a good guy, whatever, I, my first thought was, I wonder if he's on that list. You know, like that's how yeah. that's how well, you know, how deceit, how deceiving it all is, in, in my opinion. I'm really seeing that this year more than ever. You mentioned Amy Klobuchar, another Minnesota politician who's sort of all shucks, super popular. Um, I think she's the most popular politician in Minnesota right now. Um, but, you know, I mean, she was the heir apparent to John McCain and Joe Lieberman. She was marching around the Middle East with them years ago. Oh, I did not. I, that wasn't on my radar. I just always. Think of, she just has the name of a hockey player in my mind. You know, I, I'm always thinking like she's some goalie on a, you know, like Klobuchar. I'm like, oh, doesn't he play for the Red Wings? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I used to be a big hockey fan. Um, so she, yeah, so I was, she wasn't really on my radar. And, and she does, she see, you know, they seem so, they seem authentic and, I don't think they're stupid. So the real good ones are not stupid. So they have these like conversations. They can talk about policy. They seem to be able to negotiate. They don't get hit with curveballs in the press. 
which they also get softballs mostly in the press. But I just I feel like these persona, especially the Democrats, I mean, the Democrats, Democrat voters and Republican voters are so totally they're all bamboozled. You know, they're all bamboozled. So the so the Democrat the voters think these guys have their hearts in the right place and want to transfer wealth from one pocket to another simply because they love people. And that's just not what's happening. They they transfer wealth from one place to another so that they can, you know, some of it's going to fall on the ground and they can pick it up later. That like that's why they do it and they do and it's welfare warfare it's all the same. And and I just I cannot believe that people still fall for it especially this year when every government basically the vast majority of governments from around the world, across the country, up and down from regional state to federal, across all the branches, executive militia are all in on. I don't even care if you believe what COVID is, or you think that this virus could somehow defy all the science we've ever been taught. And there's always something new about it. That's kind of weird. And we didn't expect, even if you believe that every, every bit of whatever that comes out of any scientist's name mouth is valid. You, you can't deny that the lockdown measures and their, their just overwhelming devastation has not been systematically connected to a solution for COVID. They cannot say, this is COVID, this is what it is, this is what needs to happen, and that is what we are doing. They're not doing that in any of the ways that they traditionally justify their technocracy. And what I'm talking about is like a cost-benefit analysis. I have principles. I don't think a cost-benefit analysis justifies government action. Only the consent of the governed, you know, only uh, I, I'm an anarchist, so I don't even I don't even believe in coercive mm -hmm. territorial monopolies on force or anything like that. But but when they their own style, their own justification for government is that we are here to coordinate things that you couldn't to have research and knowledge that needs to be done on a collective basis. And you need to trust us that we're connecting those dots, that we are not using our coercion our powers of coercion for any purpose other than to implement what us in our wisdom and expertise have discovered is the right answer. They have not made that argument. And, and it doesn't matter what party, what government, what country, what field, anybody who's anybody, anyone who's going to be the last man standing in their field is going along with the official narrative. And I, that should discredit 90, 99% of the people you still see floating around media. What a what about QAnon? You uh, you're famous, or maybe not famous, but man, I wish you were famous for saying that QAnon is a psyop and just from minute one, and it was based on one thing and one thing alone, and everything, and same thing with Trump. One initial mm. event in both cases, and I was like, it is definitely yours to prove to me that this is legit. And what it was is instantaneous prominence. Just yeah. instantaneous prominence like it, that just doesn't happen. I've been grinding away, you know, for 10 years. Right. Just really telling stuff that's amazing. Like I, I cracked the code on the Boston Marathon bombing like you would not believe. Like I had I uh, I had a blog, a, a post that just went like super viral around the around the world about Tamerlan Sarnayev. 
a picture of him naked getting arrested the night that he was killed supposedly by his brother. He was being pushed into a cop car. It was filmed on CNN. I uploaded the thing. I mean, I was there like, and then I disappeared again, which is fine. I don't care, but I'm just saying probably saved my life to not remain prominent, you know, but, but here are these, these, how does that happen? I've had YouTube videos for years. I did one expose on Paul Ryan that he's not a libertarian that just freaking stalled at 500 hits. I mean, I would have people watch it. I would call 10 people like, go watch this video. I need to see it go to 510. And then I would write in the comment section, uh, why is my video stalled at 500? And then it would just freaking, you know, a couple of days later, just pop up. And I, I don't know if anyone like if they had a flag to hear a comment like that, but there is no doubt in my mind that stuff gets suppressed or promoted. I got taken down from YouTube before that was cool. I got my WordPress site got absolutely um, I was tricked by WordPress into something that got me taken down. I'm not going to get into the details unless you want me to, but I know you don't really speak truth to power and go viral overnight. That's just not happening. Well, so someone with the prominence of Donald Trump, though, couldn't couldn't that have happened? Or do you, do you think that that's even... Oh, so here's the psyop on him. This is what made me absolutely convinced, no question, that he wasn't in that 10% that got away from them. You know, So we started this conversation saying there's 90%, which is an agenda item, and you just have to figure out the agenda, connect those dots, and then there's 10% that is something they just can't deal mm. with. And your job, the big, the big challenge is to figure out what's in that 10%. That's base, That's pretty much the whole job. So how did I figure out that Trump was not in that 10%? Because the, he, his, he came out and announced his campaign and said that speech that uh, got a lot of controversy that immigrants are rapists, but they're also nice people. So I'm, like, I'm paraphrasing people freak out. Was, That's not what he said. Like, okay, okay. I'm just referring to the speech. You know, the speech. We I'm all know the about. speech It's the escalator we're, speech. Is, was that the escalator speech? Oh, I think I it is. See it on video. Yeah, I, I believe it, but that is right. So that's when he announced. And then about a month later, this thing happened. Kate Steinle supposedly got shot on a pier in San Francisco by an illegal immigrant, which totally validated or gave fuel to the fire for what Trump had said. And it was used that way by the media and the government, everything. And it was so crystal clear to me after so many years of just seeing like an agenda, an agenda item getting rolled out and then a really prominent event that validated that agenda item. And then, you know, that's just how it happened. It would just get damn sloppy after a while, you know, just like, here's your agenda item. Here's the validating event. There you go. Let's make a, make a new law. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, that because the Kate Steinle thing was absolutely a, a psyop. And it really brings tears to my eyes because there was a Jeff Adachi who was the elected, I believe he was the public defender in San Francisco, got the guy who was accused of who was mentally ill. I'm not going to get into the story. I did a lot of work on this and I knew it was a psyop just by smelling it. And when I looked into it, boy, that guy, everything that happened, the, the way he ended up being out on the street, there's just, that was a real operation. And Jeff Adachi, who is the public defender, 
who got him, got that immigrant. So people don't realize the guy who shot Kate, do you know the story I'm talking about? The San Francisco shooting by an illegal immigrant that validated Trump's campaign. I only very vaguely remember it, but case law. It was like it felt like a a gun control thing. They they went to D.C., but at the time, it just a a lot of you know not everybody does remember her name, but there was a and they changed some names around. It was very weird, but in the end, they uh, when she this guy Jeff Adachi, they got him off. They got the illegal immigrant off, and he was absolutely. Uh, should have been, uh, should not have been convicted of that. Normally they do convict them or get a plea bargain or whatever, but this guy wouldn't let it go. And he was, he wrote, made a documentary about it called Ricochet, which you cannot get. Ricochet, you cannot get it. If you can find it for me, I would be very grateful, but you cannot find it. And I think you can find the trailer. But Jeff Adachi ended up dead, like shortly thereafter in a, um, really suspicious circumstances. And I mean, that's a big, those dots are hard not to connect. And it's really upsetting to me because he was such a good man. He was a Democrat, total, like not my ideology at all. All four of his grandparents were in concentration camps. They were Japanese. And uh, he beat the system. He got elected uh, running against the a real political darling. He was on, and he used to take cops to court. He used to uh, prosecute them. They can't have been a prosecutor. No, he, he must've been the public defender. He must've defended the rights of people who were abused by the cops, Jeff Adachi. Anyway. So when that happened in support of Trump's campaign after that, it's like, okay, Trump now has to convince me that he's legit because Stuff like that doesn't happen. And any time I've ever seen anything like either of those things, that overnight fame or a psyop in, in, you know, false flag or a weird event in support of a, of a claim or an agenda, I've never, I can't remember ever being wrong. Not that I'm like proud of being right. I'm just saying those, those rules of discernment have never failed me. Hmm. Does it just take practice? <laughs> yeah, it's pattern recognition. Yeah. Now that you mention it, it's pattern recognition. How do you uh, how do you define psyop for people like my mom? Okay, it's used to be called the psych- uh, psychological operations department of the federal government. Now it's oh. called the information operations. I'm not saying that all psyops are are under the psychological operations, but sure, I'm sure. defining a psyop as defined by them, which is it's an operation conducted by the government. It doesn't have to be the government to do it, but it's an operation designed to uh, shape opinion. And, And it can be, and that's when you get into propaganda. It can be words, it can be deeds. There's one, there's a they actually have papers on it, the joint forces. So like all the arms of the military and stuff get in on it and they have papers of like how it works. So Edward Snowden is a psyop. And before Edward Snowden, you probably don't remember this either because these things are real low under the radar, but there was a guy, maybe you remember it. There was a guy who supposedly was a spy. He was arrested in Russia with like a bunch of wigs, a young guy. Do you remember that at all? 
No. It was at least eight years ago. And it was a really like the story came and went, but it was a really weird story of like the Russians arrested him in the airport when he was coming home and he had a bunch of disguises in a bag and it was really strange. And then like a month later, the Edward Snowden thing came down and I was reading about PSYOPs. I had researched PSYOPs and they said, well, you sometimes float a balloon to see, you know, what what people's reactions will be to this thing. Then you roll out your PSYOP. And if it's great, you can like roll out, you know, level B. If it's not good, just, you know, take what you can get and shut it down. So Edward Snowden's story changed. His story changed. The, the thing of him in the airport could not have been true. Like the just like the details of how he was hiding in this in this international bureau zone in the airport couldn't have been true. There was like one bathroom and 50 reporters. So he couldn't have been there. He wasn't in the hotel, you know, like he just couldn't have, it just didn't, it wasn't possible. And then over, he was such a good psyop that they just, you know, you ever notice every once in a while, they're like, oh, this was one of Edward Snowden's, you know, thumb drives. It's like, really? He had just millions of thumb drives or, you know, he could see into the future and he didn't have anything that I hadn't already seen. And I just went through his stuff. It's like, I have a hashtag now straight out of event 201 so that I can go back and find that hashtag. And then I can tell you every single thing that I flagged from event 201. I would similarly go through all of his claims and find articles that were already out that were that he was supposedly revealing to us. And I identify the agenda, which is which I thought was he said what they're doing is illegal. And I said, well, there are two ways to solve that problem. They can either stop doing it or they can make it legal. And they made it legal with the Freedom Act, the USA Freedom Act a couple of years later. So. So, yeah, it's it is pattern recognition and you get these uh they tell you, so they tell you what a psychological operation is and it's, it's their operations to change people's perception. And that is in order to dominate a population is how I would say it, because it's a war tactic. And, and that's why a lot of them are technically not allowed to be used against the domestic audience, but they have this funny little uh, circle with, the echelon group or the five eyes group, if I understand it correctly. And I even heard judge Napolitano talking about this on TV once. So I'm not surprised he doesn't have a show anymore, but he, so the idea was that we can, we can spy on British people or we can propagandize British people. We're not allowed to propagandize our own people or spy on them. Let's just say that's like just a simple rule in broad brushstrokes. And they have the same rules as us. So we just swap information and you don't have any of those problems. They don't need a warrant to tap us. And then they don't need a warrant and we don't need a warrant to tap them. And if we want stuff from our guy, we can just ask them for it. You know, I mean, my point is just that these these psychological operations, which anytime you read the handbooks, it's it talks about directing towards foreign populations. And that may be true, although Smith Hawley. Smith Munt. I always mistake. Smith Munt might be the one like the Depression era and uh, Hawley, whatever, is the one that came more recently in 2012, where they amended this kind of these rules against propaganda so that you could actually propagandize your own audience. I believe if your intention is 
is to accomplish some other goal. So you can lie to them. And uh, like that Nashville bombing really appears to have been a drill. And they're allowed to conduct drills like that and pretend they're real for some higher purpose, as long as the purpose isn't to propagandize us. But of course, they can say it isn't, (laughs) but it sure seems like it is. That's a that's Smith Month. That's the propaganda one. Smoot Hollywood. Oh, it is. Effect. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Right. So you were at, you were at the then... second time. Uh, okay. So, w- so when Barack Obama was running for president, he was the Messiah. I mean, there's no. They, they were writing hymns about him. They were showing pictures with him, like the, the halos in the pictures. Um, he was just. I mean, he was a religious figure to to the people who were following him. Um, You can't really get conservatives with messianic imagery because they already have a Messiah. So Trump was more of a warrior. He was like a, like a superhero or um, I mean, he was certainly the the Messiah's guy. You've seen the pictures with Jesus standing behind him, signing bills and stuff like that. Um, What do you think? What do you say to someone who has just completely drunk the Trump Kool-Aid? Uh, I mean, you know, the 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 person who you're <laughs> you sent me a, this coloring book. <laughs> you've got a you've got a Trump coloring book. He's wearing a Superman costume with a T instead of an S on his chest. That's, yes, that's amazing. And and actually, we always said my co-host Binkley came up with. And I latched onto it immediately that Trump is Batman, mm, right? right? That was Trump the is Batman. Trump is Batman. He's like a billionaire by day, but he's a superhero by night yeah. behind the scenes. And uh, so with, with Obama, it was very sad to me because I really thought that the Democrats had to just relinquish the racial tool that they used against us that they just they wanted they wanted like uh, socialized medicine or something and that they did it you know they gave us obama to get that socialized medicine even though it meant giving up on racial conflict that's what i thought the game was and when he turned around and made brought racial conflict up to a new level justifying this Trump thing, which finally brought identity politics to the right, which it was never there before. I really wasn't on a national basis. That really broke my heart. And, uh, and of course now it's just comical, like how ridiculous that, you know, that lever to hurt people and drive wedges between us really awful. But um, I'll tell you what I say to the people who, who smoke the Trump Kool-Aid. He, they say he does whatever the things that he said he was going to do. I said from day one, because I didn't believe it since the day he launched his campaign or a month later, I said that the proof would be in the pudding. He can make a lot of noise about illegal immigrants, but does that, does that mean he's just going to make the immigrants legal, you know? And, and I'm not saying that like in an amnesty way. I mean, if you listened closely to what he was saying, he was saying, we want skilled workers to get entry, right? Having people come 
really crawling across the border from Mexico for the privilege of cleaning a middle-class house so you can go out and pay for your kids to go to private college isn't as much of a threat to the people who think it is as having a bunch of people who are the cream of the crop, who are educated for free in India coming over here to take jobs in Silicon Valley for less than you would be able to take if you have school loans, for example, and then having kids who will probably compete with your kids to get into those same schools. I'm not trying to like get racist or talk about immigration or anything, but the details of what he was actually talking about aren't necessarily what you want. Like you, they, it's just an emotional appeal. And the perfect example is last week he vetoed the National Defense Authorization Act. So you think we're not having any more war? You think we don't have, you know, we don't, we don't have that money going? Immediately it was overturned, which was absolutely predictable. So it was completely an optical thing. And I think that, that the, the, I think that everything is like that with him. And ultimately, the ultimate, you cannot deny this, is he signed a four or his last, this last fiscal year or calendar year, however you want to uh, do the calculation, we're talking $4 trillion deficit. We're really talking about the end of America as we know it. There is no way of restoring true liberty with the coming financial reset that has to happen. And I'm not necessarily talking about bankruptcy. I'm thinking more in terms of, yeah, end the Fed. Sure, he might end the Fed and then bring in DigiFed that you have to get your UBI for all basic needs. You know, like your social security number comes with $10,000 a year, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. You can't work without a social security number. You can't get that 10,000 without the number. The number is digi dollars. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not even necessarily saying we're going to go bankrupt, that he's bankrupting the company, although the country, although the Simpsons did predict that President Trump would bankrupt the country about 15 years ago. So anyway, so, so he ushered in a world like between Obama and Trump, like each of them exponentially, fundamentally transformed this country. Trump transformed this country the tr during the Trump administration. This country fundamentally transformed more than during Obama's, and it was Obama's stated goal. But it's like Lysander Spooner says about the Constitution. Whether it be one thing or another, here we are. He didn't say it like that. that is, I'm paraphrasing. Whether it was meant to be to 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 defend our rights or meant to trick us into losing them, it doesn't matter. We still lost them. And and that's what I say about Trump is that he did more to move the ball because the COVID thing. Why didn't he just say it's not a federal issue? You guys can fight mm -hmm. it out in your own states. I don't believe in it. I don't believe it. I'm not wearing a mask because I obviously don't believe you need to. So why don't you guys work it out on your state levels and don't make me subsidize insane lockdowns in Democrat states? Why did he do that? It was so heavily weighted to bailing out Democrats. It's weird. Well, well so what's the, if you were a CNN anchor, 
what would you say? Why did Trump react to COVID in the way that he did? And if you're Monica Perez, why do you why do you think he reacted to to COVID in the way that he did? Right. He took so kind of this, a middle way. Yeah, like this is a big big thing, and and you should know that or think that uh, realize if you don't that Jeff Zucker, who runs CNN, mm-hmm. you know J- Donald Trump got elected without spending any money. Like that's ridiculous. It's not believable. It's totally not believable. Why? Because CNN told Republicans that they were afraid of Trump. And and that was like enough to get the Republicans to really believe that Trump was the kind of guy that would finally give those Democrats what for. And Jeff Zucker was the one who ran The Apprentice early on. So they were buddies. not only buddies, I mean, Zucker had a little cartoon of Trump on his desk, but he taught him how to be, how to be the actor that he is, how to be the boss. So, uh, so, but that doesn't mean that CNN doesn't depict him in a certain way. And I think what, what they've concentrated on the entire time is that they depict him as an emotional person a very emotional person who's not really great at thinking things through, who's very good at making snap decisions, at never backing down. And when you paint that kind of an image on somebody, it does two things. One is it justifies all of the nonsensical things he might be doing. And that is how they've always like treated Iran, for example. And I think they've had people in Iran like, uh, leaders in Iran who fed into this because they don't have any more um, loyalty from their leaders at the top than we do probably. But they, you you know, it's like, why would Iran, uh, why would Iran attack Israel when Israel has a lot of nukes? Well, because they're crazy. I'm like, you know, but what if they're, what if crazy isn't really a way that somebody runs an 80 million person country? Like, what if that's not really plausible, right? Like, then you got to tell me if you're really afraid of that or if there's something else going on. So they had they really went out of their way to paint him as being crazy. And I think that serves two purposes. One is it justifies all his irrational knee jerk stuff. They, they're like, oh, he wants to be this is what they said the other day. He just wants to be the center of attention, he wants to be the center of attention. So he starts saying crazy stuff. It's like, I don't know. That's a little a lot of people have a lot invested in the presidency. I, I, you know, if he's really off the rails and nobody's benefiting from it, I think they just need to show him the Zapruder film and get, he'll get back in his lane. So, but he, he, so that way you get to justify a bunch of irrational stuff while still preserving the Republican party. So the party does not have to own this betrayal of the American people because it's just this nut. You know, Hitler was a nut. What are you going to do? So, but Hitler had people who supported him from the top because he served some of their purposes. So you've got that. And then, and how would I, I portray it? And I think that's what they do. They spend all their time making it emotional and then they get everybody to react emotionally. So what we were talking about Gar- with Garland today about Georgia, he's got a lawsuit that he just wants to count the bat, look at the absentee ballots, like look at them. And they're like, no, why doesn't Trump say we just want to look at the ballots right here? Why don't you go get a box of ballots? We want to look at them. But he doesn't say that. He says, hey, you're in the mob, aren't you? Or whatever he said yesterday to the secretary of state is like, you know, 
you know, just says kind of crazy things that I call it the taint agent. It's like he's his own taint agent. He taints his own stuff with craziness that Garland's fighting the good fight. And then, but the, but the, but Trump justifies people saying that, that the steel is a, is a paranoid delusion. I think it's real, but I don't care. I didn't vote for the guy, but I'm just, well, I care, but I didn't vote for the guy. I do care about the integrity because I would like to kick the can on this system a little bit longer. You know, I'm not a collapsitarian. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I just don't want like to burn the whole thing down. I just, I think that if we could restore the constitution, I'd be satisfied with that. Even though my instinct says we should just go to an even freer society, but whatever. So what would I say? I would say that Trump, uh, I invented the term created person. And I, I think some people say lifetime actor. I think he's from a very deep state family. All the money, you know, his father's big money was building projects and stuff that was paid for by the federal government. So his he, he got rich not because he was this great businessman, this great realtor, this great builder. He got rich because he knew how to tap into the government for money. Trump's sister's a federal judge. He got and he has similar experiences. So he was in casinos. Casinos are monopolies enforced by the government. And he did not have to jump through all the hoops that somebody like me would have to. He got some exemptions for his associations with the mob, which you could never get a casino license. You could probably not even manage a casino with the kind of relationships he had. So there was that was another way that he made some money through the system. And then he went bankrupt a lot of times and he was bailed out by the Rothschilds. He was bailed out by Soros. He and, and he ended up just being a Kardashian. You know, he's he wasn't a Cuban. He wasn't more Cuban. He was Kim Kardashian. Like he was a, he was a brand. And then his big money. There was a book I read our to called Trump Nation by Tim O'Brien, where Tim O'Brien said he's really not even that rich. And so Trump sued him, but then later dropped the suit. I'm thinking that Tim O'Brien had, had was coming from solid ground. And then uh, I only just saw this once or, I, you know, one source. It's uh, there are dots to connect. But his it seems to me his big money is in the really sweet plum uh, lease he got 99 year lease for that U.S. post office in Washington, D.C. that I think he's he, if he sells it as he's planning to, it will make him hundreds of millions of dollars. And he was really supposed to not be allowed to own that the day he got elected. And Diane Feinstein's husband was affiliated with the company that ran the auction that awarded it to him. And other people who were competing in that auction sued because they said it was no reason to give it to Trump over them. This was before the election, you know, it was before he was president. But so he got a lot of money and, and it's always these government connections. And then there's a funny thing that people talk about, but I mean, it was interesting when I first saw it, but now it's become kind of like, oh, that's all you got that his uncle, John Trump, was an MIT professor who reports were before before the Trump presidency. So maybe it was fabricated, but I don't know why it would have been back then that he was there on the scene to take possession of Tesla's papers upon Tesla's death. So this is Nikola Tesla, not Elon Musk's yes. company. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes, 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 yes. Which is just an awful hijacking. That's so nasty. It's like Elon Musk tainted Tesla. So anyway, so he did. So he got so he got all that. So and I mean, you know, maybe that's not true, but I think it is. It would seem true to me when I first investigated it. It's become like meme-ish now. But anyway, the, that's I mean, it doesn't get more deep state than, than that. So what do you so what is it? What do you do with it? I think Trump was I think he was pretty much a failure. 
you know, I, th- I think he underachieved his expectations. I don't think he wanted to be a Kardashian. I think he wanted to be a Cuban, but his big, his amazing ability was this PT Barnum thing or this captivate an audience thing 24 Mm -hmm. seven for four years straight. Who could do that? Obama couldn't do that. Nobody could do that. He's masterful at that. And this way I think, and this, the proof will be in the pudding if my theory is correct, that he did this to kind of whitewash everything, get things back on track, put some money in the bank and legitimize his kids future. Kind of like, Carleone, you know, like we want to go legit here and close down the old businesses. You're going to be the clean one. You know, that's what I think. I, I, that's what I think may be a reason for him to do it. And it could be like they had dirt on him, but I don't think so. I don't think he's very dirty that never did drugs or anything like that. Never believed the stuff about getting peed on by prostitutes. He's a germaphobe. He's a cheapskate. So the pee and the prostitutes both not in character for him. So I don't believe any of that stuff. I don't think he has bad character. I think he, I, I think he's deceiving us and it makes me sad, but. Well, not I bad character he, other than, other than all of the stuff that you just described. Yes, 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 yes. I'm distinguishing between. Yeah. And he's a philanderer and stuff. I, I guess I don't think he's a twisted reprobate. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank it. you for the correction. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I do not believe he's the twisted reprobate that they depict him to be. And I, I don't think he has psychological problems. I think he's rational. I think he does rational things for rational reasons. And I think he's acting and he's an actor. Do you think he's dumb? No. And that is why I think Joan Rivers is dead. Let's not get into that. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait, can you, can can you, can you, can you give your, can you give your Joan Rivers theory hypothesis? Yeah. Just in like 30 seconds. Yes. One of one of the last things she said was, I think Trump would make a good president. I was on Celebrity Apprentice with him and he's smart. He knows what's going on. And I think that blew up, would would have blown up the essential image of Trump. And they knew damn well, for various reasons, that she would never shut up or back down. Yeah, because she she died allegedly in like a routine plastic surgery freak accident yeah it wasn't plastic surgery it was she was having problems with her larynx and the and her daughter in their lawsuit malpractice lawsuit it says the the incompetence is incomprehensible it just is not a Mm. plausible story i'm sure the door i think the daughter probably thinks this person was highly incompetent but that said to me the story is implausible okay so uh give me like uh, just a really quick rundown of which organizations or groups or whatever people should become acquainted with if they want to understand the 10%. The 10%, that's true. Yeah, if they want to if they want to start getting an idea of like who benefits from the 90% yes. that's Yes, how to distinguish. And, yeah. Yes, I uh the world I can I I think a lot basically all the think tanks, they have so similar, even web formats a lot of times. And let me just try to say five, five of them. The Council of Foreign Relations, the World Economic Forum, Brookings Institute, uh, Rockefeller Foundation. These are just websites that I have looked at and also and been like, "Mm," or who have white papers and stuff. If there's, you know, someone's listening right now screaming like, you left out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I mean, Binkley would probably say the U.S. War, Army War College, like they have videos. Mm-hmm. 
from or information operations, U.S. information operations. They have videos. They talk about this stuff and they have like three views. Yeah. And, Bingley uh, talks about the field manual, the CIA field manual a lot. Like yeah. They, so it's, it's just out in plain English. Yeah, that's the thing that you emphasize these things, these single sources, because they, they only put them out once, but they're out there. And you just have to read them. You know, you just have to read them. And it tells you what they do. I looked at a thing. It was 150 page slideshow on mimetics, memes, like how to use memes to reshape a culture. And this is my favorite quote from that, enhance dysfunctional subcultures. And it was being presented to the government on how to just, how psychologically using memes can change entire cultures. Wow. It makes me wonder like how infiltrated the dysfunctional libertarian movement is as a dysfunctional subculture. I, I, that guy, Sarwark, whatever's the head of yeah, the libertarian party. The yeah, CIA he, agent or yeah. whatever. Allegedly. Well, he was in the Podesta emails as a limited hangout, right? I mean, as somebody who was connected, a, a connection was revealed that did not, that raised questions. And that's what I think. I mean, I, I think, I basically think any, I mean, I just think the organizations, even if they are start out authentic they will be infiltrated. You know, I'm not saying they will be controlled. I'm not saying there isn't a hope. I know, uh, I think Dave Smith is trying to kind of take the reins. I think, am I wrong about that? I think he is. He's and, a, he's, he's, he's like a communication meister. Um, there's a few other people trying to take the reins. Uh, actually, I'm going to be talking to Pete Quinones um, here pretty oh, good, soon yeah. to kind of get his, get his take on it. I'd be curious at that because I think, I don't know if he is a collapsitarian or not, but um he has a funny little tweet back and forth about that. So you might throw in that question. Are you collapsed here for Monica? <laughs> I wonder if I would describe myself as a collapsitarian. I, I mean, really? I have, I have described myself as a collapsitarian. I, I think if the shit really did hit the fan, I probably wouldn't be, but, uh, well, you're, you're a philosophical agorist. I'm a philosophical <laughs> collapsitarian. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I got that from Joe Sobran, who is a philosophical anarchist. Probably. Yeah. So, I think there's a lot of them. All right. Well, um, so every single day, your podcast lights up my phone. It says on Patreon, the Propaganda Report just published a new show and lets me know that it's time for me to stop working and go put in my headphones. Um, do you really? I get some people who do I, who do drop it, the phone, drop it. Well, I don't drop everything. It it happens a little early in my day, uh, but it, oh, okay. it tells it tells me it tells me quitting times about an hour away um, <laughs> from my day job anyway. Um, where else can people find you? Thank you for asking. I I tweet like crazy. I'm actually. I could not keep up with all the tweets, but I, I, I usually can answer every anyone who tweets me at Monica Perez show. We put our shows and stuff on our uh, website, thepropreport.com. And I actually have a little thing like little mini Twitter where people can talk to each other on there and post if you don't like Twitter. And then uh, there is a Discord server that I don't know how to access, but I mean, I could find it, but I don't know how to tell people how to do that. But um, the Propaganda Report feed on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you like, uh, want a little more and want a commercial free. And also, 
I think the parties are fun. I really look forward to the parties yeah. we have live disappearing patron parties. So no, things get a little crazy, but nobody ever sees it. It goes away. That's a patron feature. So if you want to do patreon.com slash propaganda report, there's uh, lots of stuff there. Oh, and we have these Rockfin videos where Binkley just blows my mind. He gets these videos from these people, Brookings Institution, CFR. He plays the videos and they're just these guys in their own words laying out the plot. And if he gets to the video, as soon as it's dropped, you like understand the next two weeks of news. It's freaky. His last one was like that, where the guy was like, we're turning racism against anti-vaxxers. And it was just like, oh, if you're anti-vaxxer, it's like, then we could see uh, it, that now that you're tuned into it or for a couple of weeks after that, you would see the minority communities are extra vaccine sensitive, uh, tentative. So we're go hesitant, whatever. So we're going to get them more first. We're going to target them. We're going to deliver them to their areas first, you know? And we were just like, dude, man, they paid this guy like hundreds, whatever. There are many millions of dollars were spent on changing the minds of people in minority communities on their opinion on vaccinations. And when you feel like your tax money is being paid, is being used to manipulate your opinions. I mean, there's something inherently wrong with that anyway. So our Rockfin stuff also called the propaganda report is replete with things that will blow your mind. Rockfin's great. So Rockfin is a paid service. Um, but if you subscribe to Monica's, uh, feed, you get everyone else too. It's like a, it's like YouTube, but for, free thinkers. They've got a lot of MMA stuff on there too, which is- I know, isn't that funny? I love it. And I like that crowd. And I really hope that it totally takes off. I, I wouldn't mind just moving everything over there and having all of our content, all of the parties, everything run through Rockfin. It's got to reach a little bit more of a critical mass before- we can really take that leap, but yeah. it, you get so much, so many great people there. Sam Tripley, whom I love is there and a bunch of other great people. People love Whitney Webb. She's on there. They need to, uh, Rockfin needs to have a RSS feed in order for me to use it enough. Oh, That's yeah. the big thing for me. In, in case you have like ends with the, uh, with yeah, the, no, with I the can leadership tell the guy there. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cause well, th and that's why, that's why I love your Patreon so much because, um, being a patron, I can just plug in your RSS feed that I get, you know, for 10 bucks a month or whatever, and get that extra content every single day. Uh, you're, you provide the most value for the buck uh, on Patreon of anybody else I support. And I, I, you know, I'm paying like 50 bucks a month or so for, for Patreon. So yeah, for high, but I mean, it's all high quality, I'm sure, but that's my goal. And I know this yeah. is funny. I shouldn't say it but I want to be the Chick-fil-A of podcasts. <laughs> We're like, oh, you don't have Chick-fil-A probably. No, we do. It's, we just got them. Oh, it's an Atlanta thing. So yeah. there's, it is not the cheapest fast food, but it's absolutely, well, it's the best. I don't want to say I'm absolutely the best. There's so, so many great podcasts out there, but it's really high quality. And because of that, the value is great. So there are lines around the, the lines around the block at Chick-fil-A. And I mean- <laughs> my husband's like, I don't want to be the Chick-fil-A. Like, I want to be the Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is the best. No, because it's value. I like the value. I like quality and quantity. That's where you get real value. And then it makes it worth it because we put so much effort into it. And I just feel like I'd rather reach a lot of people at, you know, uh, uh, if, if the more people you get on there, the lower you can make the price. So I like it. All right. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that, uh, that you felt like I needed to ask you, but I didn't? 
No, that was great. I feel like the only thing is that I always feel like I've, you know, there's, there's only so much information I can process at a time. It's like that, that fire hose thing. And at whatever point in time, this is the stuff I talk about every day on the show. And over yeah. weeks, it's going to transform into new stuff. But um, I think we covered, actually, it was very well done because we, we kind of synthesized all of that stuff in one place. So I actually really love it. Thank you. Okay. I want, awesome. I want, I want the uh, file so I can share it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Um, well, then I really appreciate your time and let's do it again soon. I'd like to dig more into um, conspiracy theories versus just craziness. Uh, I'm your girl. Yeah. L lizard people is a little out, out of there, but you know, I mean, what don't we know and what should we know about COVID is probably um, worth exploring. So I appreciate your time, Monica, and let's talk soon. Thank you so much. All right. That's that. Thanks to Monica for joining me today. Um, you can find today's show notes at blackbirdpodcast.com. Uh, or if you'd like to subscribe on the Substack, you can subscribe for free or you can pick the paid option for additional bonus content and just to support the show. And that's at blackbird.substack.com or just use the form in the margin at blackbirdpodcast.com. And I will see you on the next one. And until then, live free.